0: Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler.
1: Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. My esteemed co-host and colleague, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, is with us today, as always, And between Kathy and I, we have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. We always are trying to give you the kind of critical edge, nuggets that you can do a little differently, maybe a little bit more, so that you can be a top performer and that also the teams that you lead can be top performers. And so we always are selecting people who are leaders themselves uh, in the field. And uh, today we're very honored to have Lee Ellis, He's going to talk about Engaging and Leading with Honor, a new book uh, that he has. So let me say a few words about uh, Lee Ellis, and Kathy will uh, also be able to join and tell us about Lee. Lee is the founder and president of Leadership Freedom, LLC, and also Freedom Star Media. He's an award-winning author, a leadership consultant, an expert presenter in the areas of leadership, team-building, and human performance. His past clients have been Fortune 500 senior executives and C-level leaders in telecommunication, healthcare, military, and other business sectors. Um, He has appeared on uh, CNN, CBS This Morning, C-SPAN, ABC World News, Fox News Channel, plus hundreds of engagements in various industries. On his website, Lee has what is the mission of leading with honor. So it gives a little bit of background. And so the goal isn't perfect leadership, but it's agreeing that we all want to authentically lead with honor. We help others grow in character, courage, and commitment. We'll get them to talk about those three, character, courage, and commitment, and learn new skills based on the natural behavior that will help them develop next generation in areas of responsibility, accountability, and resilience. And then, Kathy, I'll let you chime on in. Why don't you join us, and then you can give the rest mm-hmm. of the, the feedback about Lee.
2: You bet. So I, I was very honored uh, to, um, to meet Lee through his book. And um, uh, the way I was introduced uh, to that book, which is called Leading with Honor, was uh, as a speaker to uh, the Global Strike Command in the United States Global Strike Command, which is our preeminent um, Air Force facility where we house our B 2 um, bomb uh, squads and uh, an air fleet. And I was the guest of four star General Robin Rand. Uh, I was a speaker at their elite senior warriors conference. And the book, Leading with Honor, was a gift. Uh, it was a gift to thank me for speaking to these warriors. And it was one of the best gifts I have ever received. Uh, I tore through that book, um, and I, I keep it on my bedstand uh, at, uh, at my home. And I have to tell you, it's an amazing read for anyone who is just trying to get through a day to day crisis, a day-to-day challenge, Uh, it has everything to do with life and how we choose to live it, from a man, Lee himself, who lived one of, I believe, anyone's worst nightmares. Um, Lee's book, entitled Leading with Honor, Leadership Lessons from the Hanoi Hilton, has received multiple awards since its release, uh, including um, winner in the 2012 International Book Awards in both the business and management category. And um, it is, you know, a selected reading on the U.S. Air Force Chief of Staff reading list, obviously. It's an important book. It was given to me as a gift. And um, he has several new books out on the same theme, Engage with Honor, Building a Culture of Courageous Accountability. Um, And I'm sure he's working on new books as we speak. But Lee Ellis was a POW at the Hanoi Hilton, the famous, um, you know, it's a camp, an internment camp for prisoners uh, in in Vietnam. And and he tells heart-wrenching stories of courage and valor That he and his team of other military professionals underwent not months, not a year, but many, many years. Many, many years of internment, many, many years of uh, devastating turmoil and abuse. And how a human being withstands that kind of tragedy and learns resilience and comes out fighting and comes out a solid human being, a citizen of the world, is what this book is about. And it teaches everyone small tricks to cope and be your best. I can't say more uh, about Lee Ellis except to say that I thank you for your service, sir, and uh, I love you as a warrior. And I am so grateful that you and your wife, Mary, uh, your four children and your six grandchildren are able to celebrate the holidays with you and, and look forward to many, many years of your friendship in, in my future. And I know our audience is just going to love you. Welcome to the show.
3: Well, thank you, Kathy. And hi, Raleigh. So good to be with you all. I know something about you all's credentials, and I'm very honored to be on with you because you have real expertise that I really admire, so thank you for inviting me in today. Well, thanks,
1: Lee. we appreciate that. Um, i also talk about a little bit of, aside from your experience, your honors, you have a B.A. in History and an M.S. in Counseling and Human Development and is a graduate of the Armed Forces Staff College and Air War College. So I think, Kathy, let's just jump into the questions and stuff that we have for him. And, and for our listeners, you know, often we, we give a little bit of our background and we, we tell you, and you why know it's what? important. We
2: can do that at the end. You know, why don't we save a few minutes yeah. um, at the end? How's that?
1: Yeah. No, that's what I, that's what I was saying. Let's just jump into it. Um, yeah. So one of the questions that we like to start off with, Lee, is kind of who has influenced you most as a, as a leader, you know, in your life?
3: You know, I thought about that a lot. There were several. It's so hard for me to pick one because, right. you know, I have been learning from leaders all along the way. I've been always been an observer of people. And so I try to say, what is it about this person that makes them um, stand out? And how could I um, modify that or adapt it into my world so that it would fit with me? But I would have to say probably uh, one of my POW leaders, Captain Ken Fisher, he's about six years older than I am. And he was my senior ranking officer for three years. We lived together, eyeball to eyeball, so to speak, 24 hours a day for three years, except when we were being tortured or taken out of the room for some uh, uh, bad purpose, so to speak. Uh, We were together. And, you know, when you live with someone that much and you see them that much, you see every all the good, all the bad, all the ugly, but what I saw in him in the most difficult circumstances was a person of great character of great courage of great commitment, a person of wisdom, a person of good judgment, a person that was emotionally even balanced and uh, a person who was not um, sure he has a lot of confidence he has a strong ego, but he also had humility and when that you know when you're around somebody who is very Confident and capable, but also has humility. It's so attractive. And so I learned so much from him, and I wanted to be like him in many ways. I was younger. I had a, a lot of confidence. You might say kind of an ego, young fighter pilot. And uh, I learned <coughs> excuse me, I learned from him uh, about being more thorough, more dedicated, and uh, just pure toughness of staying in the fight until and, and you win the battle.
2: You know, Lee, when I mean you talk about this experience and just to make sure our audience is, is framing this correctly, um, just want to remind them that this you are an Air Force fighter pilot. You you flew right. fifty three combat missions over North Vietnam and you were shot down in nineteen sixty seven and held as a POW for more than five years. So the number of people that came through your uh, I'll say your cell um for lack of a better word to describe it you, you, all of these men had and practiced valor I mean th- there's no doubt about it and and I'm not sure if you know people are googling you as we're talking here but we're talking about two silver stars you know, legion of merit bronze star valor um you know the Purple Heart, let's say okay, P.O.W. Metal, everybody you're going to talk about, I know you're going to be the best person in the world and make them a hero, um, and that's wonderful of you. I really want people to get a sense of who you are while we're on this program together, and I know you're going to deflect and deflect, but I'm going to keep trying to get you... <laughs> To, to recognize okay. that we're interested in you and I'm sure you have mm-hmm. a, a lot of great teammates they can read about in the book. So, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be selfish here for the purposes of learning about how you learned w- what you know about struggle. So when you when you think about self-awareness and mm-hmm. and development, mm-hmm. what was it that was the defining moment in in your uh, uh, your experience that you, that you write about in the book. What was the defining moment where you said, this is, this is it. I'm either going to get it together here with the men that I know and love, and we're going to get through this, or we're not. That's what I, like, what is that defining moment for yeah. you, not anybody else?
3: Well, you know, I think for me, um, was being alone, First, I was alone for two weeks, and I'm a team player. I'm an extrovert. Extroverts don't do their best usually alone. They do their best with the team. But those first two weeks, I was alone, and I realized uh, how weak I was when I was alone. So that was one thing. I knew knew that I had some growing to do because I felt fear. I felt uh, alone, and I just didn't really know how I was going to come through in that situation. So that was a defining moment. And That realization that, um, you know, this was not flying an airplane, which I was good at. This was not driving a car or riding a bike. This was something that was terrifying, facing an enemy that was threatening us that we might not ever go home, threatening us with torture, and then it did become torture. But in that first few days, uh, I was bombed by American Air Power three times, and uh, the local populace came after me as a bad guy. So the local populace uh, found out I was in the village and came after me three times to try to cut my head off or to beat me up. And fortunately, the militia guy in charge of taking me north took care of me. But those times, I felt so vulnerable, so alone. And yet, I just had to, moment by moment and then hour by hour and day by day, just say, do your duty. Do your best. Do your bu- do your." best to do your duty, to do what you know you're supposed to do, and that's to be a good soldier, a good warrior. And so I just kind of coached myself in the moment to do the best I could. Unfortunately, um, when I was tortured, I didn't do as well as I thought I should have because uh, I wasn't strong enough to beat them, and I didn't know that that was normal. Uh, they could make you do something, and they wouldn't let you die. So I was uh, I, I was in leg irons, uh and handcuffs laying on a filthy torture room floor after i got to hanoi and feeling like i was the worst soldier that had ever wore the uniform that i i didn't deserve to wear the uniform because i wasn't strong enough to beat them well You know, eventually, as I said, I I gave in and I gave them something, but I did not give them anything. I didn't tell them anything other than name, rank, service, number, date of birth, and everything else except my father's first and last name was a lie. So they didn't get anything out of me, but just the fact that I had to give in and say, okay, I'll answer your questions, I felt so weak. So that was a, a frightening thing. And the good thing about Captain Fisher was later when I got back to the South. And he said, look, man, you did your best. We all ended up in the same place. The same thing happened to us, and and we're proud of you. And see, that kind of leadership that really uh, affirmed me at a very difficult time, that meant a lot to me that I was okay. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't as strong as I thought I was, but I was okay.
2: And just for the audience' sake, let me just put some context on this. And, Lee, you correct me, okay? So mm-hmm. some of the things that you're – Uh, captors would do um, is they would make you write letters, propaganda letters, um, Uh saying that you were being treated fairly, um, that you were receiving packages from home. They would take pictures of all of you or attempt to take pictures of all of you doing things that people would do in the normal course of life when, in fact, you didn't have toothpaste or toilet paper or blankets or clean clothes or any of the amenities that anyone would have under normal conditions. And, in fact, you guys did sleep on pretty much bare mats and floors. You you were in the freezing cold. You didn't have coats. You, you had no window coverings. Um, and these uh, the, the soldiers who were in charge of guarding you could come in and basically abuse you at, at will. And so a, a lot of that was not you being taken away for hours and tortured on, which is on top of what you were already experiencing, you were being in a torturous environment 24-7 for five years in addition to being taken off and categorically tortured for hours at a time. So I want to make sure that the audience understands the context here because it's much more brutal than even what right. you described. Right. So, so knowing who you are, and I'm an extrovert, and that's probably why Lee and I love each other. The, mm-hmm. when, when you are alone, when I'm alone with myself, if I don't have something to occupy me, <laughs> it is torture. You're in your own head and you're torture. So what you just described about being told by other soldiers who experience the same thing, and, and I want everybody to hear this, Because I work with special forces and special operators who are wonderful human beings and magnanimous warriors. Everybody will break. Everybody will break. It's just a matter of time. But you don't know that, do you, Lee? You don't know that when you're in a cell by Mm -hmm. yourself for two weeks, right? So with that as context, we're going to go to a quick break. Don't go away. You're listening to Leadership Development News.
5: practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at h2cleadership.com. That's h2cleadership.com.
0: Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Up to date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866 472 5790. 866 472 5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Leadership Development News Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. We're talking with
1: uh, POW for five years, a top performer, Lee Ellis, and we're really trying to uh, hear from Lee because, you know, it's... Uh, very rare that people have the kind of experiences that you've had and so you know Kathy used the word the kind of harrowing experiences and as as we're imagining what that'd be like, you know, not knowing when someone's gonna barge in and being on the cold floor and um so tell us what you what you learn from that and that able to um apply and help others because you know that's probably mm-hmm. some of some of the gift and some of your service uh, first of what you have done, but then also how do you take, you know, that experience that most people are never going to experience and, and make some uh, positive learning from it?
3: Yes. You know, um, I was thinking about that a little earlier as we were talking and before the show and I was listening and thinking about this. One of the things that I realize now is the opportunity to shut everything down and reflect on who I am, who I am and what do I stand for, and how well have I done in the past, and how could I do better in the future? One of the things that I, I had nightmares about some of my failures growing up. Uh, my mom was a school teacher and I was talented enough to skate through school, and I never worried about grades. And I had nightmares about being in class and teachers taking up uh, tests and doing pop tests and taking up homework that I hadn't done and so on, but I came to realize that There were a lot of things in me that were not where they needed to be to be the person that I really was committed to being. And I saw that from my leader I mentioned earlier and from several leaders, but from Captain Fisher especially, uh, that being totally responsible, being accountable about everything that comes within your domain. Of responsibility. And so I made a commitment there that I would work hard to take myself to the next level as a person. I gained a lot of self-awareness in that situation because I could compare myself with the best of everybody around me, so to speak, and I saw myself lacking. So that self-awareness drove me to want to be, to want to grow into a better person. So as a leadership coach now for 20 years, one of the things I know is that until a person comes to the realization that they have not arrived yet, that there's still room for them to grow, and that they have the courage to actually take that on and battle with themselves. You know, we talk about character, courage, and commitment. We call that the core of courageous accountability. If the leader is not willing to start accountability with themselves, they'll never be able to really do it well with others. I mean, you look around today at some of the character failures we've seen in the news in the last two or three weeks, and in every case, it's obvious the person has not won the battle with themselves. They have not exercised discipline to show respect for other people, to show respect for women, to show respect for others. That is the kind of battle that you have to be willing to take on on yourself to hold yourself accountable. So self-awareness is always the beginning of any leadership development. You can't develop what you don't know about. And then you have to have the courage and the commitment to actually follow through and be vulnerable, be vulnerable with yourself, admit it, and then deal with it and grow out of it by changing your behaviors. You make those choices one by one. I love the work that you all are doing with emotional intelligence also. I've been working in that field also for about 15 years. And uh, it's so, so important for a person to have that self-awareness, not only of themselves imagine mm-hmm. themselves, but of right. what's going on with others. So there again, uh, my commitment is to be a, a good neighbor, a good friend, and to care about others. But if I'm not careful, my behaviors I can be pretty blunt. I can be even harsh at sometimes. Uh, it's not harsh to people like me, but to people who are very different from me in their behavior, their natural behavior, which is one of the major things we do as we start out with that assessment. Um, you know, you got to understand that people that are different from you will not respond the same way. So I have to manage myself when I speak to my wife that I don't speak so directly. Yes, I kind of like direct talk, but she doesn't. It hurts. So I had to tone that down. So those were some of the things I learned in the POW camp.
2: Well, here's the thing that
3: uh, in the book
2: that I thought was, I'll say, emotionally brilliant. Uh, You take an experience that no other human being except one who'd been in a POW war camp could understand, you take the learning from it, the character learning the courage mm-hmm. learning, the commitment learning, and then you apply it to an exercise. And, the, you know, the average person can make so much, um, uh, I want to say, uh, sense of that. And how you do that is so it's – so, it's an amazing way for a human being to not only understand grief – and suffering, but to recognize whatever it is they're dealing with at that moment can't possibly be as bad as the kind of pain and suffering a human being is going through alone. So, tell me, just what would you describe um, as an emotionally brilliant person coming through what you've come through and learning about yourself and others? What what, what would be an emotionally brilliant person to you? How would you describe them?
3: Well, I think an emotionally brilliant person has uh, a solid foundation within themselves. They're comfortable with themselves. You know, a person who's not comfortable with themselves, doesn't feel good about themselves, they cannot feel good about uh, things toward others. They will not give others the grace that they should, that they really would like to have themselves. Uh, So I think it all starts with. Is, is it's a in a good in a good way self-love you have to love yourself enough to be hard on yourself but also uh give yourself a lot of grace and room that i did my best and it fell short and so next time i'll do better so it's that comfort that i think that gives you the space then to be emotionally intelligent uh to be self-aware to be aware of your own emotions and manage them appropriately for different situations and then to be sensitive to where others are. You know, if the guy next in the office next door, his son, just hit a home run in Little League last night, and you break up his conversation when he's telling his buddies at the water cooler about it, that's not very good emotional intelligence. You know, you should start out by saying, wow, I bet that was neat, I bet you were proud. But if you just bust it all up with your business stuff, you, you weren't very emotional intelligence, he's going to feel hurt. I think that's just sensitivity to others and being uh, caring about others that you have to have in order to really be emotionally intelligent. So, Lee, that's,
1: um, that, that's beautiful. And I think, like we would agree, in you know, all the emotional intelligence literature, you know, it starts with yourself. And I think exactly like you're saying. I mean, it's, if, you're, if you're not able to treat yourself that well and not able to treat yourself, um, by nurturing and, and learning, you know, sometimes we talk about it's easier to be on your case versus on your side, and it mm-hmm. sounds like a lot of what you're saying is, you know, learning how to be on your side. So, kind of along with that, um, I'm sure as a POW, you know, for five years, there's a lot of unwanted feelings, you know, and a lot of what we're, we're researching now about. Okay, so what, you know, when these come in, was, uh, like for example, I'm not going to make it, or You know, what if, uh, um, you know, they decide to kill me, or what if um, so-and-so, you know, back home something happens to them, you know, when I'm not there? Any experience, I'm sure a lot of experience you had with that, but how do you deal with what would we call maybe these unwanted emotions?
3: You know, um, I'd like to start to answer that, and I'll try to keep it brief, but number one is whether we we never heard of the Stockdale paradox that Jim Collins writes about. He and Jim and Admiral Stockdale were buddies at Stanford after the war. But Stockdale said, you you know, you must you must never lose hope, lose hope in a successful outcome, but you must brutally confront the realities of your current situation. We didn't know that then, but that's exactly—we we all lived that way. We would never give up hope. We believed that someday we're going home. For me, it was 1,955 days, five and a half years. But this idea of keeping two things, you know, it's kind of the paradox, the picture-in-picture. Okay. Well, someday we're going home. It's going to be great. But today we have to deal with this battle that we are in with our enemy. They're trying to get us to make anti-war propaganda— And we're going to resist, and that's going to be a battle today. Now, as far as the emotions of kind of purifying ourselves before we came home, we actually were very fortunate in that Ho Chi Minh died before we came home, and the American people put a lot of pressure on the communists about our treatment, and the torture did stop before we came home, and we had time to decompress. We realized if we had gone home the way we were at that time, we were so bitter, so angry, and we used it to fight the battle with, but we realized that was not going to be good at home. You know, we go home in an office place, we're with friendlies. At home, with family, we're with friendlies. We're not with enemy. It's not life or death. And so we had to be able to shed this bitterness, or it was gonna, we were going to go home prisoners if we came home bitter. So we worked week by week, month by month the last period or so that we were there, to shed those uh, bitterness away so that we could come home free from those negative emotions holding us back. And the amazing thing is our group has been very, very successful in life, in marriage, in uh, financial, in education, in uh, work accomplishments, career accomplishments. We've just been very successful. Right. At our reunion recently, we were talking about this, and everybody says the same thing. You know, I would never volunteer to be a POW. I would avoid that like the plague. But at the same time, I wouldn't change my life a bit because I'm a better man. Wow. This is,
2: this is such an important thing for people to understand, Lee. And, you know, you just heard that wow from Raleigh. Um, individuals, you know, human beings who go through emotionally-wrenching experiences, whatever it is that they are. Some of us come out on the other side, just the way you described, better people and able to cope and, and even achieve great things in life. And yet there's a whole population of people, and I would say probably more so, that fall victim to the emotions that they can't beat. What do you think were the... What were the telltale signs that you would see in a human being that you could identify while you were there and you could say to yourself, that person, you know, I hope they'll make it, I want them to make it, but there were just so many... Impulses that weren't managed. So many things that derailed them on a regular day. So many yeah. things that angered them and caused them right. feelings of loss and rejection. They, you, you could just tell there was something about them that wasn't going to work. Versus the people who did get out of there and make it work.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, yeah. I'll give try to give two answers. One, the the more the more love you had growing up from somewhere at home, neighbors adults nearby, the more love, unconditional love you had growing up, the healthier you'll be in terms of being uh, flexible to absorb many different situations and adapt. That's number one. Number two, uh, the POWs were mostly aircrew, which means we had been screened, and then screened, and then screened again. So this was a pretty elite group, and so we were teamed up, so to speak, with teammates who were pretty elite people in terms of psychological wherewithal to be positive and to believe in a successful outcome. That made a big difference. And then our leaders our leaders were crushed over and over again, and yet they bounced back. And they set an example for us of being winners. Even though they were crushed, they bounced back, and they stood up again, and they just kept showing us what resilience looked like, what hope looked like, What faith in our own outcome look like would look like, and so that that kind when you you know the the teamwork having no no one can survive well in hardship uh, alone. You know the special forces, Navy SEALs, fighter pilots—we don't fight alone. And when you get isolated, you're in very dangerous situation. A leader who's isolated and doesn't have people around that leader that can speak into his or her life. They're in, they're in danger because they don't, have, they don't have the encouragement. They don't have the wisdom flowing to them from people around them. So in our case, we did have wisdom. We had strong leadership. We had right. great teamwork. We had affirmation. <clears throat> that made all the difference in the world.
2: Well, you also created an alphabet system. You all created mm-hmm. a communication system. Can, um, you know, we're going to go to a quick, a quick break. Uh, and uh, I just want to, I want to just ask you if you could talk a little bit about that. I think it's very uh, interesting for our audience to understand that it's not only about the resilience and the emotional intelligence, but it was creating a communications infrastructure that allowed yeah. you all to feel safe. So we'll be yeah. right back. You're listening to Leadership Development News.
0: Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
5: Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the happiness equals profits business formula. For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com.
1: uh who his book leading with honor after kathy hearing what you're saying and about it i want to make sure i order it right away his website uh that you can get more information is leadingwithhonor.com. uh lee is a, is a speaker an author a coach so um hopefully you're tapping into some of the things that he's uh saying now about just dealing with emotions and what is being emotionally brilliant. You know, really knowing yourself, self-awareness that you've already said, Lee. And so now the other piece is that we, uh, before we went to break, talking about this communication that you had with others, um, and then how did that help?
3: Yes. You know, the worst thing that can happen is you can be isolated in difficult times. We need each other. We need that human connection. And so one one person brought in this tap code. It's a five by-five matrix, there's 26 letters in the alphabet, so we had to use throw out one of our letters, we threw out K and used C for K. And we could actually uh, communicate with this. Uh, you know, every letter had uh, two uh, taps. It had a down and then a cross to fit into your matrix there. Uh, that's pictured and shown in the book, by the way. But the whole idea was that we were able to communicate covertly. And then we led to, that led to other ways that we developed to communicate, but the most important thing was we would risk our lives to communicate with someone who was in solitary confinement. We knew we had to get to them, encourage them, let them know we knew they were there, we got their name, their shoot-down date, their branch of service. And so they were then accounted for, and that was so important to be accounted for. And then after they'd been isolated and threatened or tortured or whatever, we had to get to them to encourage them, and say, we're proud of you, bounce back, we're here with you, we're not going to leave without you. All that kind of encouragement was so important in holding people together and keeping them positive. Now, as I said, our group was pretty well screened psychologically, so we had a very strong group in that way, pretty much... uh, Optimistic a type personalities, but we did have a few that uh, one way or another, they got too far down the road and just died and one guy who uh, was was one of the few that really got depressed, deeply depressed and was actually considered suicide. And uh, he did uh, commit suicide two months after we got back because he was basically rejected by his wife and family who were totally anti-war and did not understand him, and he didn't understand them, and that fell apart. But this whole idea of being alone and uh, rather staying connected, vice being alone, is so important uh, for leaders, for teammates. Uh, This is why we have have each other because we need each other.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things... um, that you said earlier, Lee, and this may tie into the connection, because you know Kathy and I are trying to get a deeper dive into some of these emotions and what it's like being emotionally brilliant. So you sh- you said you shed the bitterness. Now was that yeah. individually? Uh, was that with each other? Like if you had to, if you had
3: to teach us how to shed bitterness,
1: how did you do it?
3: Well, with us, it was not against each other. Uh, that would have been very rare. Sometimes a person lived with another person for a couple of years. You know, they kind of get at each other's throats from time to time. But uh, we really loved each other, I would say, very deeply and uh, still stay connected. But the enemy, uh, represent, communism really was our enemy. It wasn't the guard so much as it was their ideology. And that allowed them to justify uh, calling... Uh, a lie the truth they said it, it's not it's not a lie to torture you to sign a statement you've received good treatment because truth is that which most benefits the party so in their mind you know they truth was whatever they wanted it to be and but to fight an enemy like that and to fight uh, it was. It had a face to it, of course, because it was the people that were uh, ca- had captured us and were maintaining us and were torturing us and were feeding us lies every day. So in that way, it was real. I think what we realized was that that we had to somehow um, justify in our minds that we could not let that get a hold of of our spirit, of our hearts. And let that put a, a vice grip on our hearts going home because we would be shut down for the people we loved, and so we had to we had to let go of the anger, we had to let go of the bitterness, and I think we just intellectually uh, looked at it and said, this is going to hurt us more than them. Yeah, they're wrong, but. We can't do anything about, you know, there's only certain things you can control. And we had to let go of the things we couldn't control. We couldn't go beat them. We couldn't beat them up. We couldn't defeat communism uh, that day. And so we just had to let go of that and accept it uh, for what it was and to be in control of what we could control, and that was mainly us. And I say it just took day by day, day by day, Uh, allowing ourselves to readjust our mind. Now, as far as emotions, I will tell you that most of us, our emotions got, we compartmentalized so much that we would not allow ourselves to get up and excited and we would not allow ourselves to get down and depressed. We just stayed flat as a table because we were afraid to get too excited because that might plummet us. We're not going to go home anytime soon, so there's no reason to get excited about that. And I don't want to get too depressed because I know that someday I am going home. So when we came home, and I speak for myself, I was so emotionally flat that I had a very difficult time experiencing emotions other than a little bit of anger every now and then. So I had to work at getting in touch with my emotions so that I could really love my wife at a deeper level than just a romantic level, uh, but at a deep level in my children and my friends to be able to really connect with what that meant to love at a deep level.
1: Well, it makes sense that you would be, you know, you're, mm-hmm. it's like you turn down the volume on all the emotions yes. and that's the kind of the yes. business and it's hard yeah. to kind of turn it back up. Yep, Can exactly, I just remind, I just,
2: I just want to remind our audience how to, how to, you know, connect with Lee and his books. Uh, it's com. Again, I want to say that com and, you've expanded this whole concept of leading with honor Lee into a new book and into Uh a new, uh, a new, uh, I'll say process business process called building a culture of courageous accountability. Um, Uh can you talk a little bit about that before, uh, before we uh,
3: move on to,
2: uh, to close?
3: Sure. I'm a person who loves models and, uh, you know, I love the emotional intelligence model. I love the, we work a lot on the relationship results balance model. You know, 40% of population's population is naturally results-oriented and 40% are relationship-oriented, but you have to do some of both. And so leadership development really so often is pretty much learning how to adapt, to learn some skills to get that better balance, either relationship skills or result skills. But in terms of courageous accountability model, we're thinking about, uh, first of all, character, courage, and commitment at the core of it, and then a lot of communications wrapped around that, and then clarify. You, if you don't clarify, then how can you hold people accountable? So you have to get clarity yourself, and then you have to clarify uh, with the people around you, your team, the people you're leading. And if you don't clarify, you really can't hold people accountable very well. And some leaders don't clarify because they won't wiggle room. So if things go bad, they can blame you instead of taking the blame themselves. Uh, and then we connect. Connect with people based on personality. You know, as I said earlier, if you're managing someone like my wife, you, you speak softly, you uh, kindness, you give them their directions and they follow them. That won't work with me. Uh, with me, you need to be direct and blunt and get in my face and challenge me. And then my performance will go up. You do that with her, and her performance will go down. Well, that's just the way the world is. you got to understand how to manage people differently. And then the other side of connect is connect with the heart. <laughs> Every human being wants to be valued, appreciated, and to know that what they're doing is is meaningful. And that's a big part of the leader's responsibility is to make that happen. So... Connecting with hearts is so important, and that's one of the big downfalls in the workplace today. People are not being valued and appreciated for what they're bringing to the table. And then you collaborate. Collaboration in today's world is so important. And finally, closing out with celebration or confrontation. Four Cs. Clarify, <laughs> connect, collaborate, and close out.
1: Nice. You got... You got you definitely got the C's down between. Them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's great. Um, so, what have you found in your work for leaders? And again, you know, you've given us some great ideas and prescriptions. What have you found has been some of the kind of the biggest derailers on some of the organizations and leaders that you've worked with?
3: Well, first of all, it is character. I mean, you see that in the newspaper and in the media. You know, wherever you go for years, you see that every day. People do things that they know are not right, and then they try to cover them up, and they start lying, and it gets worse. So it is character. I just keep saying you have to guard your character. You have to be willing to battle for yourself and deal with yourself. And then uh, the next situation, I would say, it's the relationship results balance. If you're highly results-oriented, that's great. But you also have to take into account that your results that you're getting is driven by these people over here. And also, Gallup's research shows that the more emotionally connected your customer is with you, the more successful financially you're going to be with the customer. Mm -hmm. And that requires uh, having employees or associates that are emotionally engaged with the company and the brand. So, again, that's the relationship side that has to come into play, emotions. I find a lot of leaders are terrified of emotions. And I said, look, man, emotions drive all the energy in the workplace. You better come in and have positive emotions and take advantage of that uh, so that your your people feel positive and energized and happy and proud about being on your team. And when you have that, their their talents will take care of the work. And there are a few people that are highly re- relationship-oriented that have to learn to do the hard things and yeah. hold people accountable and set standards and that sort of thing. So when you, do, when you take care of character, results, in relationship, now you've taken care of most things, but then the next one up, to, up the rung is emotional intelligence. And so that's the next place we pick up with, and that's where you'll find uh, some of the leaders. Uh, that's where they derail is emotional intelligence. But so usually those are the same ones that are having problems with the results relationship. They don't have that under control, and it just spills, gets magnified into the emotional intelligence. Sorry.
2: If, you know, when I read the book, and I have read it over and over again, give, can you give one example of how a POW's experience can so seamlessly be used in a work environment. Just one exercise.
3: I think courage is the most important way, and that is because see, courage is the, courage is the real derailer. Courage is the, is that co- causes people to lie. They don't have the courage to, to handle the truth. Courage causes people not to do things or to do things that they, you know, lack of courage. Fear causes them to do things that they shouldn't be doing. So I think the POW situation, what I learned about myself and about courage, really helped me more than anything else as a leader. Because I could sort out what should be done, what was the right thing to do. And the courage that I had enabled me just to go do it, whether I wanted to do it or not, whether it felt good or not, whether people were going to gripe about it. I fired a best friend, okay, a good friend, uh, because he wasn't succeeding. I put him in his role responsibility as a leader, uh, as a flight commander, and he just wasn't doing a good job. And I had his boss to coach him some, and then it just, just wasn't working. So I-, I called his boss and him in, and I said, you know, I made a mistake, this is not a good fit for you, and we can't go on like this. And I said, I have other things over here that you can do, you're a good guy, it's just you don't have the talent for this role, and I put him in another role. But it was obviously a big blow to his ego, and it was hard for me to do. But there was no other choice, and I wouldn't even need to put it off. So I had the courage to do that. And I think that courage factor that I gained in the POW camp has helped me in so many areas, you know. And you know, the, I always figure, that, well, what are you going to do to me? Put me in jail? I've already <laughs> been there. <laughs> I don't have much fear. Most of the things in the workplace, they don't have fear. And so, so if I lost a job and I and I had to go find another one, well, you know, I've lived on on rice and, and thin soup for months at a time. So, we ain't going to starve to death. You know, we'll get some rice and, and some bean soup, and we'll live until we get another job. So the things that would terrify a normal person, uh, you know, kind of slide by me pretty easily. I it. And I think what's so good about this is, you
1: know, that perspective is what you're carrying, you know, from one in your memory and then what you're doing also you know, in your work and in your books because I think what can easily happen in our perspective can be overwhelmed. We think this current situation we can't get through and, you know, it's, it's overwhelming. So the courage that you're talking about, Lee, is, is uh, you know, a uh, it, yeah a well of, of resource that allows you to keep moving forward.
3: Yeah, I've coached a lot of CEOs and my ability to sit down and go eyeball, to, eyeball, eyeball with them and in a nice way call it like it is and challenge them. Look, you're better than this. You can do better than this. What's holding you back? Well, it just doesn't feel good. Yeah. Well, it doesn't feel good, but you know it's the right thing to do. I mean, I was coaching Sky as a West Point graduate, and he he didn't like to give positive feedback. I wouldn't let him off the hook.
2: I said, <laughs> "You know better than
3: this. You've been trained, man. You're you're a ranger. You got courage to do this. It may feel hokey, yeah, yeah okay, but <laughs> it's the right thing sure. to do. And after you do it a few times, it won't feel hokey anymore." You know,
1: but I I love what you just said as far as feedback and for our listeners is, you know, saying that you are better than this. Who's going to argue with you about that? I mean, when (laughs) you say that, look, you're better than this, what do you need to do? No one's going to say, no, I'm not better than this, you know, unless, you know, they're depressed or suicide. Right. Well,
2: I I just want to remind everybody, if you want to meet one of the greatest American heroes alive today, you want to go to leadingwithhonor.com. And you want to say hello to Lee Ellis. You want to read his books. You want to learn about how to be the best you you can possibly be. And, Lee, it is an honor. You are family to me, and I I am so fortunate to have you in my life. Thank you so much for your time today, and uh, we want to make sure everybody read your book and your new book. You have a new book coming out uh, or a new book that's just come out. Would you give everybody the name Uh of that book again?
3: Yeah, that was Engage with Honor, Building a Culture of Courageous Accountability. It's a little bit more of a how-to book. And then we're working now to revise a book I did in 2003 of the out-in-the-body year uh, having to do with uh, a deeper understanding of personality and leadership and teamwork. So that will be all a bit later. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we, I do a five-minute video coach and a five-minute blog every month also. You can get to it. It's all free at leadingwithhonor.com. But I just thank you all so much for what you're doing to promote leadership and emotional intelligence and character and courage and commitment out there with your work. Thank you so much for what you're doing, and thank you so much for having me on today. It was a real joy. Well, well, thank you, Lee.
1: This was was great for us. So
3: this is Leadership
1: Development News. We're going to tune out, but I hope you continue to tune in and develop your practices and be the best leader that you can be. Thank you.